We had a, a little late start this morning, but the good news is I wrote a shorter sermon today. So, <laughs> no, I did. That, that is true. But the good news is that we're going to talk about the Prince of Peace today, who is our good news. And uh, so before we look at Isaiah 9 and look at our Prince of Peace and the good news, let's pray. Dear Lord, thank you for your son. Thank you for your word to us that brings us hope, brings us the promise of your peace in our lives. And pray that for each one of us here, you would be our Prince of Peace and that your peace would rule in our hearts and lives. In Jesus' name, amen. So peace, it's a big topic today, right? Because there's a lot of anxiety, a lot of depression, a lot of worry in the world. Peace seems harder to find. With each passing year, it seems farther away. It seems like we, we read and hear about more and more division and conflict and violence, not just nation to nation, but also in our communities and sometimes even our own families and homes. And the forecast keeps feeling like it looks worse, not better. And sometimes it can feel like our ability to thrive is harder and harder. Now things are not as bad for us as they were for ancient Israel. Ancient Israel was a tiny nation surrounded by invading empires on every side. And at the time of Isaiah, they were corrupt from within. They were rotting inside from with moral corruption. So they were a land in, in deep darkness. And we're maybe more of a land struggling between darkness and light. But our struggle forces us to ask the same question they face. Where does true peace Come from. And the prophet Isaiah offered hope against darkness. And he spoke of a true and lasting peace that God would bring. And that peace is still for us today. In chapter 9, Isaiah foretold of a time when God would liberate his people and give them peace. And that's our first idea from these verses today. God's liberation brings peace. And we find this idea in verses 2 and 3. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. You have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoil. And the word walking here refers to the way one lives your life. And, and these, so these people lived in the darkness of deception. They were captive to lies, and they lived their lives accordingly. They are prisoners. They were prisoners of lies. But in these verses, their liberation will come. They have seen a great light, and that light is the truth. And the deep darkness in the next verse here is like the shadow of death, which is the worst depression and anxiety there can be because it, it is fearing that death and doom may come at any moment and you, you are helpless to prevent it and yet you do not know when it will come. 
but on them, in that deepest darkness, on them light has shone. It's like the sunrise after a long night of worry, and then the light just shows that every fear is gone. What a relief, what freedom, liberation. So the shining of this light represents God's divine act of liberation. His, light, his liberation shines, and the people see it and rejoice. And the result of this liberation is thriving. The people are thriving. It says the nation multiplies, the people grow, and with their growth, their joy also grows. So they express great joy to God who liberated them. And this is a joy like when the harvest is good and you know you will have plenty for the whole year ahead. And it's also a joy like for us, maybe more like our own Thanksgiving when we look back and we see how our every need has been met and we thank God for his providence. He says it's also a joy like when you receive your share of the plunder. But as we shall see, this is for a battle that we did not fight. The spoils are a gift. And we, we should not understand the ancient concept of plunder like we think of pirates today, like the Disney Pirates of the Caribbean. Uh, it was very common in the ancient world that the king's army was not paid for battles. So they had, their, they had their own livelihood, but for going to battle, going to war, they would be, their only pay would be the plunder won in victory. So the joy of the spoils for them is it, nothing like Drunken pirates rejoicing in their treasure. Woohoo! I'm filthy rich. No, it's it is not that type of joy. It is, it is the spo the spoils. Then are the reward for risking everything for king and country. The spoils are for the foot soldier. The basic they answer the basic question: Was the fight worth it? The the spoils, the plunder, they are the trophy for victory. So all these together paint a picture of thriving. We have truth and hope. There is growing, thriving, rejoicing. There is plentiful harvest. There is victory and reward. Peace is everything needed to be whole and complete. And that, that's the core root of the meaning of the word peace, or in Hebrew, shalom, which means wholeness, completeness. And we see this leads to peace and thriving because when you have truth, you have hope. When you have provision, there is growth. When there is enough, when there is victory, when there is reward for your struggles and labor, then there is joy. And then verses 4 and 5 tell us that God will defeat the enemies of peace. God will defeat the enemies of peace. Verse 4 and 5, for the yoke of his burden and the staff for his, oppress, or for his shoulder, the rod for his oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian. For every boot of the tramping warrior in battle, tumult, 
and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. And these verses recall previous dark times in Israel's history. And then they recall the time when they were slaves in Egypt. They had no peace. They could not thrive because their burdens were so great. And because they were beaten and afflicted by the staff and the whip of the slave master. And they could not thrive because they were under the rod of the oppressor, which is the authority of the tyrant. That's the rod is that symbol of the authority of the tyrant. But on the day of God's liberation, the yoke of their burdens will be broken. The staff of beatings will be broken. And the rod of authority, the authority of tyrants, will be broken. God will defeat the enemies of peace. He will break their power. And then verse 5 speaks of warriors, enemy warriors on the march, in action, invading, because their heavy boots are tramping, stomping, marching. They're on the move. And their garments are rolled in the blood of recent battles. And God says, all of these will be burnt. Nothing will be left but ashes. The presence of outside invasion will be burned away. Nothing but a memory. God will thoroughly defeat the enemies of peace. But he will accomplish this in a most unexpected way. He says, For to us a child is born. Verse 6. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. So Isaiah does not speak of a great battle won or any great deeds. He speaks of the birth of a child. He will come into the world and everything else will follow. And the emphasis here is on who this person is. A child will be born one of us. A son will be given. He does not come for himself. He is given for us. And we'll see later that he is a particular kind of son. He is the son of David, which means he's the descendant of David, an heir to his throne, the one promised to reign forever. God will send a prince of peace. God will send a prince of peace to accomplish all this. And it says the government will be upon his shoulders. And this is not bureaucracy, but real rule, making sure things happen in the way that leads to true peace for all the kingdom, all the time. So if the whole authority and power of government could rest upon this child's shoulders, what special person must this be? I mean, we, government is a tough job if you're actually trying to do it. <laughs> half the it's a tough job because half the people want you to solve every one of their problems and a whole bunch of other people want you completely out of their lives. And even though we may have the best educated policymakers, 
in history, we still we face problems, unprecedented problems that are incredibly complex. So in peace is always under attack. There's always something going wrong. And we also know corruption in government is incredibly tempting. Because when you get into that sort of authority and power and policy making and you realize, wait, well, I, I can just adjust this policy, this issue, and half the world will dance for me. <laughs> Woohoo! <laughs> that kind of power can be intoxicating. People can get power mad, drunk on that kind of power. But this child, this child can carry the government on his shoulders. The government of God's peace. How can that be? Well, it's possible because of who he is. His name shall be called Wonderful Counselor. And wonderful here means supernatural. His wisdom and counsel are so extraordinary that people are filled with awe and wonder. So his counsel, the wisdom with which he governs, is supernaturally wonderful. And he is mighty God. Mighty here is, is commonly used to describe the strength of a warrior hero, a champion, a defender. But not any champion, a divine one. The hero God. And this child will also be the everlasting father. Like a father, he provides, he nourishes and cares for, he disciplines and instructs. But unlike earthly fathers who eventually pass away and are no longer with us, this father is everlasting. He will be with us forever. And this child is the prince of peace. This means the rightful governing authority over peace. So he is the architect of peace. He orchestrates it and governs it. He controls it and by his authority grants it to any he chooses. He is the prince who is marked by peace and who is himself the source of peace. And through him, through this Prince of Peace, God will establish a kingdom of peace. Verse 7, of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. So the expansion of his government will have no end. But remarkably, it's a kingdom marked only by its peace. And that peace will increase without end. So it's a kingdom that, that grows as its peace shines and spreads. It's also a particular kingdom. The throne of David. So someone who, who rightfully inherits the authority of King David because he's a descendant of David. And he's also over David's kingdom. So over the kingdom of God's people. The Prince of Peace will establish this kingdom with justice 
and with righteousness. They will be its foundation. Every injustice will be repaid and restored under him. And he will deal with everyone rightly. And the kingdom will be continually maintained by these, by justice and righteousness. It will be this way from its beginning and continue forever without end. And in the end, it says God's zeal, God's passionate love for the peace of his people will bring this about. So the question is, who is this Prince of Peace. And how can you share in his peace? Well, as I'm sure many of you know, this Prince of Peace is Jesus Christ, the Son of God. He was the child foretold. And as we look at the Gospel of Luke, hey, you coming up to join me? Okay. Yeah, snuck up here. Wow. I snuck up here. Okay. Yeah, that'd be better. He probably won't sit in my arms for long. (laughs) Little too mobile. So in Luke chapter 2, we read about the birth of Jesus Christ in the stable in Bethlehem. And then it says in verse 8, And in the same region there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear, And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger the birth of the child, who is the Prince of Peace. And Jesus, he is the wonderful counselor, whose words shone the light of truth in the hearts of mankind. He is mighty God, both God and champion, who defended his people, not by slaying all evil, but by taking our sin and death upon himself. And conquering death by rising from the dead. And by his death and resurrection, he defeated the enemies of your peace. He defeated the sin that corrupts our hearts, the devil who tempts us, and finally, death itself. And he is the everlasting father because he makes us spiritual children of God when by faith we are born again in him. And because, and he's also the everlasting father, because he is the good shepherd who shepherds the family of God. And he is the prince of peace. He is the one who is whole and complete. He forgives our sins and he ends our division with God the Father. He makes us whole and complete in himself. And his word of peace has more authority than any doubt or anxiety in your heart or mind. And you know his peace. You share in it when you put your faith in him. You put his faith in his word of peace over you 
that your sins are forgiven and he is your Savior and Lord. When you trust the authority of his word of peace over the division and conflict that attacks your heart and mind. John, the Gospel of John, chapter 14, verse 27, Jesus speaking here says to you, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. <clears throat> let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. And from the book of Colossians 3, verse 15, and let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts to which indeed you were called in one body and be thankful. So when your heart is troubled by fear and doubt, let the Prince of Peace be your judge. He says he is your peace and he has left his peace with you. We know, also know his peace when we let his kingdom reign over our lives. He is the Prince of Peace who shows us the way of peace. So if we are citizens of his kingdom, then we will work for his kingdom. We will live by his way of peace. We will be his disciples and we will live as he taught us. This does not guarantee us a life without conflict because we're still in this world surrounded by sin and unbelief and troubles. But when we live his way, we will have the best possible outcomes in this life. And we will live in harmony with the peace that he has given us. And Jesus gives this invitation to you in Matthew 11, verses 29 through 30. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. To take his yoke means Jesus is your master and you accept the labors he gives you. But his labors are not a burden. As I, as I showed earlier <laughs> the children's message, Jesus' burdens, being yoked with him is a joy because when you are yoked alongside him, he does all the work. And you're just hanging on the other side of the yoke there, being carried by him. You're just along for the ride. You're, you're there, you're part of the work of his kingdom. But when you realize his grace and gospel are the power for everything, then you realize you can't claim anything as your work. He did it. And by accepting his grace, you find rest for your burdens. So we share in his peace by accepting its authority over our hearts and by sharing in his grace. But as I said, this does not mean we have a life without conflict. And I, and I like to think more of like this, like you have been granted safe passage. If you are his, then, then the prince of peace has ordered that his peace go with you, his authority goes with you. He has ordered a secure escort to go with you wherever the journeys of life take you. So will there be trials and adversity? Yes. Even conflict and battles of, of some sort. But his peace will accompany you. It will guard you until you reach 
your eternal peace in him. So I pray that the peace of Christ will truly reign in your hearts today and every day. Amen. Please pray with me. Lord, we thank you that you are our Prince of Peace who has come to liberate us from the darkness and burdens and oppression and tyranny in our lives to set us free so that we may be forgiven and that we may be made whole and complete within through you. And I pray that we would put our faith truly in your word to us, your promise of peace with you through, your, through the forgiveness of sins and through our, our spiritual rebirth into connection with you and, and that we are now children of God and that your peace is in our hearts and over us. And I pray that even when on the days where we really feel our troubles and our anxiety and our fears, that we would let your word, let you be the judge over our hearts and lives. And we put our faith in your word of peace over us far more than any of our doubts and fears. And give us hope and peace today. In Jesus' name, amen.